0: First name, Mister. Last name, Glass.
1: Is it possible that there are no coincidences? Welcome back to Chronologically. This is the podcast where we go through the full filmographies of some of cinema's greatest creators. My name is Jeff, and with me is Eric. Hey, Jeff. How's it going today? It's going well, man. It's a good day. It's a good day. Now let's talk about a movie. We're going through the full filmography of M. Night Shyamalan, and we are winding down here. Just a few left to go, but this week we watched... Glass, the sequel to last week's or two weeks ago's split, uh starring James McAvoy, Bruce Willis, Samuel Jackson, uh Anya Taylor Joy, Sarah Paulson, Spencer Treat Clark, and uh Char Lane Woodard, as well as a cameo from M night Shyamalan. So Yes, we did.
0: We watched that. That's that was the thing that we watched. So Jeff, what's what's your history with glass? I think last week we were talking at the end of our show mm-hmm. and you kind of were, were less than enthused about going into this this week. So, uh tell me tell me tell me about your experiences with this film.
1: So, I actually reviewed this on a podcast. Uh it was the first episode of a, po- a now defunct podcast called Film Soliloquy, if you wanted to. And I haven't listened back cuz I didn't want to taint my own views. Uh but I um did not see it in theaters. I watched it shortly after it came out on video on demand. Um and was disappointed uh because Split was such a high for me that and I to be honest going into glass even the first time I kind of knew it was going to be a fumble because I think it was just too much to ask to kind of blend these two stories together that going into it the first time I was like I just I just don't even see this working anyway maybe it will but it it didn't for me and that's where it left me how about you
0: yeah, okay, so I also did not see it in the theaters. As you recall from last week, my, my my sons and I went and saw Split in the theater, and we really enjoyed that. And for whatever reason, we just never got around to seeing Glass in the theater. So uh, I, I read it as soon as it came out at the Redbox, and we did the thing that we sometimes do. We tried to make a thing of it. We set up the big screen, and we watched it through the projector and, and made it an event. And I remember sitting there watching it, And they were all in on it, and I remember just slowly feeling this dawning disappointment as it went on, you know, and kind of like, "Ah, this is just not what I want it to be. And at the end, I asked them how they liked it, and they both enjoyed it. And so I kind of downplayed the fact that I really disliked it, because there's one thing I hate. I hate coming out of a movie that I liked and have somebody go, that was the worst piece of shit I've ever seen. You know, because, like, it kind of ruins it. Like, I, I'm on a high, and so I don't want to be that guy. And yeah. I didn't want to be that guy for them. And I always try avoiding that with my kids because, you know, we go see some crappy animation thing, and they love it. And I'm just like, oh, God, I'm just sleeping through that. So, um, I, and so uh, I don't want to be that guy. I'm going yeah. let it, to let it go that, we that they enjoyed Spectre, it, and I We went to see Spectre,
1: the 007 movie Spectre. Oh, and God, I hate Inspector. Oh, that thing! And <laughs> we left with our friends, and I did. I tested the waters. I'm like, so, what did you guys think? And they went, "It was boring as shit." I said, "Yeah, it was horrible." <laughs> like I just, so I feel you on that. Not being the guy who brings everything down. Um, now, yeah, I just, I
0: just had that experience yesterday. I went with, uh, I went with my daughter and her friend, both ten year olds. And- we'll see, five nights. Went to see the Taylor Swift Oh okay And and, and honestly I'll tell you what For a three hour Taylor Swift concert Pretty well made Like it's pretty good And I know like maybe 20% of the songs But it it, it's well put together. Like, it, it's actually a good concert film. And I was in a theater full of little girls, and they loved it. They were clapping and singing and dancing, just like you see on YouTube. They are clapping and yeah. singing and dancing,
1: waving their glow sticks around. That enthusiasm would work on me, though. It like, does. I it found, would sway me to be like, these people are really enjoying this, and About that's 45
0: great. minutes in, I noticed my foot was kind of moving along with the music. <laughs> and, like, yeah. the songs would end, and they would all burst into applause. And I found myself, like, looking at my hands, like do I want to clap? Do I want to <laughs> clap at this movie? But that said, it is a three hour long Taylor yeah. Swift concert. It is long as shit. And so like by the time it wrapped up, I was ready for it to end. But I, I still like nonetheless hid that from my daughter. Like, cause she kept coming back cause they were wandering around the theater with the other kids. She kept going back and going, isn't it good? Isn't it good, dad? I'd be like, yes, it's very good. Yes. <laughs> it's
1: very good." I would good. go, really looks like you're having a great time that's how i would do it like if i get that question from mike it looks like you're really loving this you know i can tell yeah. you loved it and that makes me happy that's my response because i don't i, I don't want to lie but i also don't want to tip my hand that it's trash uh now on this viewing of glass i gotta say my opinion has changed a bit me uh, too i so i started watching it and at the beginning, I, I love all the stuff with the security and David Dunn being Batman. And they got the original kid back from Unbreakable and they're running their thing. I like that M. Night Shyamalan's appearance ties all three of his appearance together. He's the same character that he was in all three films. Uh, you know, he says, hey, I was a bad kid hanging around at the stadium. But now, you know, all good. And he's in there buying cameras for his tenants because he runs the office, the the apartment building from split. So I was like, Hey, it's a through line. Great job. I really appreciated that. So Sarah Paulson's character comes in, they arrest them. And I immediately start hating the movie. I'm like, okay, this she's pissing me off so much. And I didn't remember the twist of, of the secret society and all that crap. I really didn't. And so I'm like, there's a point in the movie where I said, you know what? Sarah Paulson's the bad guy, even though now we figure out, yeah, she is. But in the movie at the time, you don't know that. And when I switched my brain to say, I'm rooting for glass and David Dunn and the horde, these are, these are the main characters. These are the leads. These are the good guys. And when I did that, I really started enjoying the movie. And I really started finding a lot of appeal in the the theme of being who you are, loving who you are. There's a point in the movie that really got me was when Hedwig is like, you know, hey, you your superpowers, you're super smart, right? What's mine? And he goes, you're nine years old forever. He goes, yeah, he's like, that's amazing. And the kid is like, yeah, that is a superpower. And it just worked for me. And I can't explain why I think maybe it's because I knew the storyline and I knew that the three characters spoilers were going to die at the end. It made it a little easier for me to accept that now on this viewing and then going through and hating Sarah Paulson's character wanting her to get, you know, what's coming to her, uh, that it just turned into a good movie. Like, it was
0: like, oh, this is good. This is a okay. good movie. Okay, I'm really glad that you said all of that because that is very much the same as my experience watching this. So, like you, the first 30 minutes
1: when they're out and about, love it, love yeah. it. My I only was all c- in completely done blew their load on David Dunn versus the Horde. That was like, it was like right out of the gate, you're getting it. And I'm like, that's what we're working towards. Right. You know, but well, I
0: I think my whole problem with watching the film the first time was that it just wasn't what I wanted it to be. I wanted the whole movie to be that first 30 minutes. I wanted it to be David Dunn hunting down the horde, and maybe somehow Mr. Glass comes into no, it. And so I on. was watching and that. Out
1: of like, you treat Mr. Glass like Hannibal Lecter. You go to the damn facility, and you're like, "I need help finding this guy. He's fucking killing people." And perfect, perfect, yeah, yeah. like
0: that's what I wanted out of the movie. And so when it wasn't that, and it turns out to be this quiet, like mid 90 minutes with all of them in the clink together i was like god this is boring this is not what i want and then it does it again towards the end because it's building towards this big confrontation at this building right there's this building and then you know the film pivots away from the building and it turns out it wasn't about the building at all it was just like a red herring Uh, and, and I was disappointed in that because I thought, okay, we're going to get this bang up thing at the building at the end. And it turns out, you know, of course, that's not what this movie is. That's just not what this movie is. It's not about a big bang up superhero fight. It's a middle finger to the people that want the big bang up superhero fight. And, and, and it's kind of subverts all of those expectations. So when I saw it the first time I was pissed at that, the fact that it was subverting my expectations I was mad that I wasn't getting this superhero showdown, and the one that I did get was pretty muted, in my opinion. You know, it's very
1: grounded. Yeah,
0: it is very grounded. And but in retrospect, that should have been what I was expecting. So and and I did not remember that they all died at the end. I did not remember that uh, about the secret society. Like you, I didn't remember. You know, the the twist ending or whatever. Um, okay, so this time. I sat down, it was a quiet afternoon, I, I just quietly watched the film by myself, and I was about halfway through, like you, I was like, shit, I'm into this, like, like and, and I think maybe it's because we have watched Unbreakable and Split so recently. Right, you I know? think that
1: had a lot to do with it.
0: And, and Kevin Crumb and all of his alters are like really fresh in my memory, you know, and that awesome McAvoy performance and it comes back around again yep. and it's even more awesome. Like it's less focused on him, but he's still just like tossing them up. There are two
1: scenes where it's like showing you altars. You haven't seen yet, right? Yes. They flash through ones you didn't see in split and it just kind of showcases it. What's funny is when you watch the credits, it's a list of like 20 names and, james mcavoy and then it goes and everybody else just has one name next to them and it's like who's carrying this load i thought that was really great
0: yeah very clever so I, i i i really enjoyed that i i i enjoyed how it kind of expanded upon the horde um and and you got to know that there were more members of the horde than just dennis and patricia you know and uh I liked how it kind of turned the character of Dennis on its side a little bit. And, and you know, this, this lead member of the horde is kind of like not on board with what's going on anymore. I felt like Anna Taylor-Joy was maybe underused, but I thought her motivations and what she actually does in the film was kind of fascinating and yeah, unexpected. I bought and it. It was not what... I thought somebody in that situation could do, but then I thought it through and like somebody coming from her background and having had that experience that she had with him, I can kind of see where she would develop this caring. So, okay. So like, let's just look. Okay. So she becomes an ally of Kevin Wendell Crumb, right? And and some of the alters, like, she knows them on a personal level now. That's my and girlfriend. While,
1: we kissed. Right. Love <laughs> that.
0: She, she doesn't uh, condone the cheerleader cannibalism. Uh, she does have empathy for what Kevin and all of his alters are going through or have yeah, gone through or whatever. because of them
1: are good. And then in the middle of it all is Kevin, who I think is who she's really there for. Yeah. Right? Um Yeah, go ahead. I just Yeah, just so like,
0: I mean so so like in the end each each of the three main characters has their supporter, you know, like like Mr. Glass has his mom and uh David Dunn has his son, who is remarkably played by the same actor who I think amazing. does a great job. Great really job. Really great. I, Wonderful I, seeing it, him again.
1: It tied it together, right? It really put that this is the same universe, right? When you had all the characters in the same place, you have these six sort of, you know, you six, three main characters and then three supporting characters. And they just really hammer home the, the reality that this is the same world.
0: Yeah. I just love it because it could have been such an easy recast, you know, and instead going back and getting that original guy who, who still looks very much like the little kid that he was, uh, it's great you're you're right it really ties it together but then okay so then casey is the supporting character for for kevin because she kind of is the only person that he knows anymore like he doesn't have any family his doctor is gone and even she i think finds herself surprised to be kind of playing that role of you know like when, when uh When her counselor calls her down out of class and says, "Hey, they caught the guy. I know you must have been thinking about," and she's kind of like, "Yeah, I have been thinking about it." You can tell, like even she's a little like, "I'm surprised at what my thoughts are about it." Right? (laughs) You
1: know, your your thoughts aren't immediately put him in the chair, but there's some good people in there who actually helped me. You know, right? Yeah, it's not a black and white situation, which I think is kind of true throughout the whole movie. There's so many moral choices that I really found myself thinking a lot about. I I don't know if you're a D D guy. I'm certainly not and I kind of wish Elliot would help. But the whole lawful good and lawful neutral and I'm like, okay, Dunn is the lawful good, right? His motivations are good and he's on the side of doing things the right way. And then you've got chaotic, you know, unlawful or whatever. I don't know them. And that's your, uh, your Kevin Wendell crumb. And then you've got the, the smart, I don't know where to place all these guys, but I just really thought a lot about their motivations and who's really right here because uh, Sarah Paulson's character is very, I found like so frustratingly evil in her need. Essentially she's there to gaslight all of them. Yes. And to get them to not believe things about themselves. And I think like that's something, you know, for me, and I think we've s- seen this over the course of our recording. Uh, I'm big on the theme. Show me the theme. What's the theme? What's the through line to all of this? And uh, the through line to all this is who are you? Who do you believe yourself to be? And not letting other people kind of shit on that, you yes. know, and I think um that the movie does a, and that's why I loved it. It does a great job of really doing that for all three characters. There's moments where like David Dunn's starting to think maybe I'm not super. And then Patricia is like crying. Like maybe he's not special. Maybe all the things I believe aren't true, you know? And although I don't, Mr. Glass doesn't ever really kind of, outwardly have that sort of thing he has no doubts
0: like his whole thing is just i'm gonna prove it to everybody
1: yeah this is the world we live in and i'm gonna make sure it's true um that i just loved it and so when they that's why it was so effective to me when he goes in and and my mind speaks a word of encouragement to hedwig it's like no you are special you're this kid who's nine forever nobody else gets to be that way you know and i just found it so easy to root for them as you know like even though the only guy who's really doing right all of the time is david dunn it's still easy for me to root for the other two because sarah paulson is so evil like (laughs) she's so evil even though there's even some gray area there she's trying to cure quote unquote convince them they're not special before this three days is up and they're going to die so there's part of her that wants them to deny these things so they can kind of live right so even that's like a gray area and i just and she's, feel like
0: and she's fairly successful at it outside of mr glass who she's just kind of like she's out of her depth with him out of her depth yeah, yeah. She, she like she comes off as though she's condescending to him but like in reality he's like circling around her like a shark the entire time you know he's pulling
1: all the strings
0: yeah so i wanted to talk a second about the three days thing um because it's it's one of the kind of tenets of the setup of the movie and it really doesn't make a lot of sense like so they they they've arrested david dunn for being a vigilante and he just ends up in this facility With no due process, right? Right. He's just thrown in the clink.
1: Like, I get the other two. Well, because Mr. Glass has been arrested years and years ago. Yes. So it makes sense that he's where he is. To a degree. Although I don't think if they do any testing, he would actually, like, scientists would actually find him mentally needing some sort of psychiatrist. Uh, I think he's competent enough not to need that. He doesn't have any psychosis. Obviously... Kevin Wendell Crumb, this is the place they'd probably put him right away, right? I think that yeah. that makes sense. David Dunn makes no damn sense. Why is he here? And that's part of the reason I was so pissed off at Sarah Paulson's character. I'm like, who the fuck are you to right. arrest f- this guy and and have this authority over him?
0: Right, and so by my question, and it's not necessarily a question, I'm just trying to work through it to see if you are on the same page with me. The the Clover Society, that's what I call them, the people with little clover tattoos on their hands. Their whole gig is that they are a secret society of normal humans committed to the eradication of extraordinary individuals who could can be considered superpower superheroes, right? So they are all about like maintaining the status quo and not letting these extraordinary extraordinary individuals uh get too prevalent keeping them down keeping them a secret convincing them that they aren't real and if not just outright killing them right um are we to assume that these this clover society maybe includes people in authority like that would
1: maybe the government has some sort government, of say like
0: it's like okay so maybe it's like the da is in the clover society and so he's like hey put this guy over here in the clink like they pull in some strings to like put him in there or something like none of that is ever made clear yeah and, and the time the three-day thing is also never made clear like why does she I only think the, get three days the
1: three-day thing is is the the Clover like that. I'm fine with because like the Clover society is like, we're going to kill them all. And she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Give me three days, you know, and I'm okay with that to a degree. I don't, the Clover twist to me is unnecessary. I kind of like the movie without it um, a little more. Uh, It it does give Mr. Glass something to fight against. That's
0: more tactile, right? Like, uh, if not for them, then he's just fighting for the public acknowledgement that extraordinarily individuals exist right outside of the spectrum. Which of for him humanity. is
1: enough of a motive. I yeah. like think for him because of his need for the world to be like the comic books, I think that's enough of a motivation for him and fighting against Sarah Paulson and, and even maybe the police is good enough for me. Well, like yeah, I just in
0: the end, he doesn't even know. Like he doesn't know that the Clover Society is even a thing. None right. of them do. Right? They don't tip their hand at all. They tip their hand to the audience, and that's. I agree with you. I, I don't know if it's necessary, and it doesn't necessarily work for me as a quote twist because I agree. It. There are no hints throughout the film that it's a thing. Like, there's no way to go back through the film again and see, like, oh, there were some clues that I missed. You know, it's just something that's arbitrarily sprung on the I audience agree. at the end. So so I feel like that's kind of a weakness. Like, it it's almost feels like a twist just for the sake of the twist. Like, I love the idea that it's all part of Mr. Glass's super arching plan right like he's got he's got this plan above the plan you know they give you
1: breadcrumbs for his plan like there's the moments like he's outside of his cell he's you know like there's all these little things that you're like oh okay i see that like
0: so that all works for me the fact that he's like running a running a deeper game than anybody knows um but the need for her to be part of this other organization uh and i don't even know like are they a good organization are they an evil organization like i i wouldn't even know what i classify them as you know they're uh a status
1: quo i mean at the end they're enforcers. gonna kill them for being different so i'm gonna go with that i guess that makes them bad yeah <laughs> i guess that makes them bad
0: but uh yeah so i i think while they're in the clink her character really works for me. She's a nurse ratchet type. She feels like appropriately like,
1: enough because she plays nurse ratchet in the show. Ratchet. <laughs> right.
0: Right. I wonder if that's why they cast her, if that was like a contributing factor. It would, they saw it her in be. this. Yeah. And they were like, Oh, she could do this. Um, So, so that part of it works. It's just when it gets to the end, the the thing with the secret society. Eh, yeah. I can, I can kind of, kind of leave that in. and, and
1: I think of, so at the end, like all three of them, like we said, die. And the David Dunn death was the one that I was kind of the most upset up by, not because I was sad or it did an effective job pulling emotion out of me. I think that Kevin Wendell Crumb's death did a much better job of that, but it did feel unnecessary to me. Like it just was like, I don't know, maybe it's because he needed to alter the expectations of what we're seeing but in the comics the good guys win right you know he's the superhero yeah the good guys
0: win but sometimes they die too i mean and then they come back years later but then they come back years later exactly
1: (laughs) i don't know it was one of the things i was like damn like because now i and i think one of the things that i still don't like about them all dying is now we're in this world where There's all these super possible super people, yet the ones we know and care about are gone. And it just kind of left me like, what? You know, I don't know. Like, I was fine. I really, I like the death scene with Mr. Glass, where his mom's there. And she's like, you were spectacular. And, you know, that sort of thing. Because I really appreciate you know, his mom is still there for him. I don't approve of what he did, but he's my baby boy. I'm going to be there for him. And then I love the death scene with Kevin Whittle Crumb where Kevin comes out and he's like, it's not so bad being in the light that got me. And I have to pull back on what I said before. I think Anya Taylor joy really is good in this movie. Um, I think her moments are well acted and, uh, especially when he's dying in her arms. I'm like, I'm buying this. I'm buying this. Um, She's wonderful. Yeah, I know you (laughs) love her. And, you know, we both have, I have a picture of Bryce Dallas Howard and you have one of her. Um, But I, but David Dunn is like, they just drowned him. And then nothing, like they have that moment where you're seeing through the water, the sun be upset, but they don't ever really hit that home. That's the guy we've been with this whole time.
0: Yeah, and right? his drowning, his drowning feels really unnecessary. Like, I mean, I guess it's the clover because the guy who drowns him has the clover on his hand, right? right? So, it, so it's the clover society cleaning up
1: loose ends, I guess. I mean, like, if well, they she don't touches kill each other. And she's you... like, "Did I almost make you believe that I almost, you know?" But uh, I just maybe it's because I like the character and I didn't want him to die. <laughs> you know, like I wanted. And I think maybe part of me, because we're at this point, you know, in life, we're living in the MCU where the story doesn't ever end. Yeah, I'm partly hoping, hey, maybe the story keeps going. Maybe there's, you know, we get to see more of these superheroes. But I, I don't think Unbreakable is ever meant to be anything more than just that origin story. Yeah. And so the fact that the series ends right at the beginning makes sense. And I get it. I yeah. still am a little disappointed, but that is leaving me wanting more and I'm okay with that. I did I I
0: really and I don't know if you thought about this at all while watching it, but I think the last maybe last episode or I I kind of touched on Bruce Willis's uh dementia. Yeah. Yeah and and wondering whether or not it was impacting him at the time this film was made. Um, and I don't know, like, I don't know, I don't know if it was or not, but I will say like, it was kind of on my mind while I was watching this film and it made me just appreciate him that much more. Like I, I really, really enjoyed watching him in this film and seeing him in that character again. And, uh, I don't know. It was one of those things where like, eh, like it was made in 2019. So it was only four years ago and he's pretty far along now on that dementia trained right. so it must have in some ways been impacting him at the time and and uh, I don't know like I feel like he really pulls off the same character again very well and he just has that same physicality about him and I don't know it's just cool it's just
1: cool to see him well he's you know. the good guy like I really like one of my favorite moments again is when Mr. Glass is on the loose there's so many good moments like I don't I have done a full 180 on this movie I actually very much like it but there's the moment where he's like Mr. Glass is on the radio. Hey, David, your water's off. That door is a steel door. Too bad you can't get out of it because there's nothing special about you. You know, and then he busts through the door. And you know what Mr. Glass is doing, right? He's not—he wants the bad guy to get—or the good guy to get loose. And it just makes for such interesting moral dilemmas where the the bad guy wants you to get loose so that's part of his plan— now I have to get loose, but now I'm, I'm walking into his plan. And but I still
0: got to get loose. I still, still got to get loose, it.
1: but you're the you're the guy watching the movie. You're like, yeah, David Dunn's going to get loose, and now I'm rooting for the glass guy. I love all of that nuance in what's right and wrong here. It's a very gray area movie where there's only one character that you can really say is black or white, and to me is David Dunn is like full on the good guy. Yes. And then maybe Sarah Paulson is full on the bad guy. Uh, but I just love the shades of gray in this movie and makes makes it all much better.
0: I agree. Um, I wanted to talk briefly about the very effective scene where Mr. Glass, when he's a child, decides to get Bro, on the tilt-a-whirl. I like... forgot about this scene. <laughs> so fucking horrible and and uh, so I, one of the things about unbreakable that always comes to mind when i think about it is that awful scene of him falling down the stairs like yeah. it's just like you just your whole body kind of curls up when you watch it and and this is like that except it's like protracted kid. yeah like it goes on and on and on and it just kind of like keeps accelerating you know when he gets on the thing that it's a bad idea and then you know oh now he's lost his animals that were his protection. Oh, now that scarf fell off the front that was protecting his face. And like, (laughs) you start hearing the crunch of his bones breaking and it's just so twisted. That said, great scene.
1: A very good scene.
0: Really good. Really good. And I'm not mad at it. Is there any reason for that to be in this movie? Other than to remind us of who he is? Like, I, I didn't... I was thinking about it this morning and I was just like, I don't know if there's any narrative reason for that scene to be in this film. Other than maybe M night had it laying around as a cut scene from unbreakable and decided to use it. Which which I'm not mad at. Because he does that in
1: this movie, right? You get the scene with David Dunn's son in bed and and it's the same kid, but he's the regular age, no special effects needed. And it, fucking is awesome and makes it work and it's a great use of deleted scenes i will say while yes i agree i do think that that it's in the movie specifically because is that the same kid i don't know i kind
0: of thought it was right because if it
1: is then it's definitely a deleted scene because the kid is the same age as he was in that movie and it's such a great scene but I think why I'm I'm good with it being in the movie because uh, Mr. Glass spends the first half of the movie not doing shit. And yes. so maybe you need that element to kind of bring you back into his character and see the shit he's been going through. And that way, I can't remember the order of things. Does that happen before or after the flashlight where the guy drops mm, the flashlight? Maybe you it know?
0: happens right after the flashlight. Maybe that's... Maybe that's we can loosely tie it to the narrative sure. just to demonstrate.
1: I'm okay like, with how it because the really scene is. works yes. and like he looks down and then the bears are at his feet and you're like, Oh shit. You know? And it just, it's like the kid is here. I'm having a great time. And I think as parents too, we've seen it where, your kids expecting a great time, and then it goes to shit, and they're like really bummed. That's the worst, dude. Yeah, it's like, yeah, and you're like, damn. He's like, my son. Will say, I was looking forward to it so much, dad, and it just hurts me. And then this is even more because it's literal hospital trip on the way. That's uh, how
0: I ended up at the goddamn Taylor Swift yesterday because my wife took my daughter two weeks ago like the opening weekend when it was supposed to be the big bang up and everybody and there were only two people in the theater and they got all dressed up and my daughter wore all the bracelets and they went and there was nobody there and my daughter didn't and so my wife was like hey I found these tickets and it's like a sold out theater like do you think we should try again i was like "Fuck yeah we should try again yeah you should (laughs) it was disappointing so yes i absolutely know that feeling when your kid is expecting something great and it just goes to hell and sometimes it can go to hell like you said way worse than just a disappointing trip to the movie theater you know like sometimes it can really really go to hell and yeah it's the worst i agree have you but ever had any mishaps at an amusement park? This was not a planned question, but
1: not that I recall. And I live in Florida. I've been to a lot of amusement parks. Like, we're the amusement park state. So Yes, you are. You got some
0: bomb-ass amusement parks down there, too. We have the
1: best. Um, and I can't think of one time where it's gone like a mishap. Cool. Not why I, I have had mishaps.
0: <laughs> I've had one very extreme mishap that. Uh, this is a good, so I'm just going to tell the story because yeah, it's good. That's what we're uh, here for. So, we have two major theme parks in uh, in Ohio. We've got Cedar Point, which is up in Sandusky near Cleveland, on the lake, and then we've got Kings Island, which is outside of Cincinnati. And when I was a kid, I was a Cedar Point kid. We went there every summer, like religion. Uh, It was our pilgrimage, and I still, to this day, have dreams about my family going to Cedar Point. Like, that's what a big thing was for me. But one year, when I was five years old, my family decided we were going to come down to King's Island. There was a big air show. This is 1977, right? Big air show, and we're going to go to the air show, and then we're going to go to King's Island the next day, right? So we go to King's Island. Water ride, right? Right take the you're in the log you go up into the trees you're kind of going through the trees in this little waterway and then there's a hill at the end you go down and there's a big splash right and y'all get wet that's that's how it's supposed to work these are in the days before it was completely automated so when you got to the part with the hill a college kid would reach out and he'd put his oh foot, good yeah he'd put his foot on your boat and wait till it was clear and then he'd take his foot off and your boat would go down the hill and you'd get the big splash right So we're on the ride. Uh, My dad's in front. We always put him on the front because he was heaviest and he'd make the big splash. And then my uh, sister, then my mom, and then me, right? We get to the point where the college kid has his foot on our boat. The boat in front of us went down the hill and whatever mechanism is supposed to like, like you hit a little thing, there's like a little thing at the bottom, you hit it and you kind of bounce and that's what makes the splash. They hit it and it broke. And so their car just stuck there. Their log just stuck there. College kid doesn't pay attention, takes his foot off our boat oh, good. and <laughs> sends <laughs> us down to crash into the boat before us, which is at that point had kind of got like lodged up sideways onto the thing. So we went down and we hit it and our boat flipped in the thing. Oh, and shit. And so we were, like, underneath in the water. My mom and my sister were, like, thrown clear, and they were, like, floating away down the canal. And my dad and I were underneath the boat. Uh. And here's, here's where it ties in. My dad had an unbreakable moment. He had his superhero moment. He planted his feet on the bottom of the canal and lifted that fucking thing, that long (laughs) thing, and threw it out of the the canal and freed me. And I just remember waking up on that... uh, on the spinning platform in fact that's kind of all i remember of this experience yeah waking up on the spinning platform so a few years ago i took it upon myself to kind of like reach out and see if i could find any documentation on this yeah of course king's island was not interested in dealing with me and uh so i found like a king's island support like fan group like a you know where they have their boards and everything and I reached out to them, and I was like, "Here's this thing. Here's what happened, you know." And I talked to my family beforehand, so I had my story straight. And they were all just like, "Nah, fuck you. That didn't happen. <laughs> You're making this up. Maybe you were on a canoe that flipped in the lake." <laughs> I'm like, "No, <laughs> specifically what happened. Nobody, nobody was buying it." So I have no documentation on this story. Uh, but yeah, that's that's my completely tangential Kings oh, Island. I loved it. Uh, Kings Island boat story. Yeah.
1: I, no, and being I have... my
0: parents, they took us back the next day. Okay. Epilogue. My dad refused to sue or pursue any sort of legal action whatsoever. My parents took us back the next day and made us ride rides so that we wouldn't be afraid of the amusement park. This, I, That I get. That's a very 1970s solution to the problem.
1: I get <laughs> like, the get idea. Get back on the horse, uh, bitch. Yeah. No, I get it. Like because rub well, some dirt in it. <laughs> here's the thing, though, and I think why I never had that issue. Living in Florida, we know how to make amusement. You got to compete with fucking Disney, yeah. and so the safety standards are higher, and you know that sort of thing. So it just, I just never had any issues really at all and i've been so many times i can't believe i don't really have any memorable stories <laughs> yeah
0: i have i have kind of i've always i love the amusement park i ride all the shit and yeah uh, i'm kind of starting to age out of it now just because my body hurts all the time and so i'm a little more Dude, particular about I like, getting into stuff roller but,
1: coasters but i can't ride them anymore i can ride it one a day but yeah. after two i start getting nauseous and i'd never had that before and my brother is just two years younger than me and he can ride all damn day. He doesn't give a shit. But I can't. There really
0: there's a wall you hit and it's real. Like I, I went on the Beast, which is King's Island big claim to fame. It's from like the Appropriately 70s or enough, something. the Beast, but but it is like a huge bitch of a roller coaster. It's like the long like it's the longest roller coaster in the world, like yeah time wise. It takes the longest to get through it. And it's a great ride. And I made it I did okay. But after that, I was kind of like I think I'm done for the day. Like, yep. <laughs> like, I think I'm done. When I go back to Cedar Point, I'll still ride some of my old favorites, but I'm not getting on like some of the newer crazy shit. I'm here cause... for the
1: kids' rides now. I, I'm, I'm done with yeah. that shit. Yeah, um, it's funny. Well, but, crippled up. Yeah.
0: Anyhow, okay, so it was a good scene. <laughs> back yeah, to the movie. Yeah, it was a great scene. <laughs> it was a great scene. <laughs> um, that said... Do you think this movie is offering any original ideas that weren't already expressed in the other two to an extent? Like, the first Unbreakable is more or less about David Dunn realizing who he is and Mr. Glass guiding him to that realization in order to validate his own existence and this movie is again about Mr. Glass kind of trying to validate his own existence. Split is about you know Kevin Crumb kind of uh, becoming more than he was, uh, and I mean the only the only twist on this is that there's an active force acting against their realization of superness, right? do you feel like that's enough new theme wise in this movie to justify it? Uh, I don't like story wise. I can see it being justified. Like I'm not shitting on it, but like, I'm not sure if this movie is offering any new ideas, you know?
1: Yeah. And I'm okay with that. Uh, I mean, because now we're in an established world, right? What's the last Marvel movie that did something that you're like, Oh shit, something different, you know, like, it's been a while because the universe is established. And so now we've got an established universe. So I don't know. Like the only thing I can point to when you were talking about that is I felt like the movie made a very specific point to kill the good guys and not just the original three. Right. But also there's two nurses. One of them is a real piece of shit, dickhead. And the other one is nice as pie right he's a bit talkative about vitamins and shit <laughs> but he's really nice to mr glass right
0: yes the, he is. the he's other guy dude
1: is like i'm gonna break your leg with this light and he's a dickhead and you're like i can't wait to see that guy get it he never gets it but the nice guy dies a horrible death and i just felt like the movie when that happened i'm like the bad guys are the good guys. The good guys are the bad guys. Like this is what this movie is. And I felt like that is something on my part, mind state wise that I did that made the movie feel fresh to me. Um, And I think the movie even deliberately does that with that juxtaposition of those two nurses, the shitty guy (laughs) lives and the good guy gets killed.
0: Yeah. The, the most understaffed, a psych ward in the universe, right? Like, you've got these three incredibly dangerous individuals, even if they don't have superpowers, acknowledged to be incredibly dangerous, to the point where we've got these crazy comic book apparatuses in their rooms to keep them at bay, right? Like, we, we hooked up this thing, and it's got this giant water tank outside, and it's gonna spray you with all this water just because you think that water is your weakness, you know? And, and it's like, the could have just had a hose and (laughs) squirted it at him but no they made this big elaborate thing you know and then they've got the blinky lights for the horde you know to make him change personalities and then they've got two dudes on staff one at (laughs) a time (laughs) and yeah i thought it was kind of funny that you know when they break out there's nobody there there's a couple nurses walking through the basement but there's nobody there they're like totally understaffed and they have to call it i don't know maybe it was just maybe that's how the the clover society rolls is that they're kind right. of trying to keep it on the dl that they have superheroes on lockdown but uh, that's
1: a good point maybe they do have a smaller staff to help keep the secrets
0: right do you think that those two dudes are in on the situation are they clover dudes or nah. are they just they not feel like
1: Clover dudes to me? Cause the one guy is a real dickhead. He just feels like a shithead who doesn't like his job. Um, the other guy I feel like is an actual nurse. Like his bedside manner is really good. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, I don't know. Yeah. like and he cares about health and when he's talking to the security guard, he's like, tell me, are you drinking enough water? No, I'm not. Uh, well you need to drink more water. I just, uh, I, I think they're just staff that maybe got moved over to that team. The, the as, dickhead nurse was driving me crazy because I knew I recognized
0: him from somewhere and I couldn't put my finger on it. You he still plays, have it? No, I, I know who he is now. He plays Lenny Bruce on uh, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on uh, Amazon, okay. and which you don't watch shows, so you don't know who he is. Nope. But uh, fantastic show and he's really good at it. So great side. Um. Okay, so we both really came around on this, I guess. I
1: really like this movie, man. Like, I will watch this again.
0: I think. Yes, like this, I
1: feel like after it, watching it, I'm like, damn, the Unbreakable trilogy is really good. Yes, this is the weakest piece, but it's still good, right? Yes, agreed. Yeah, I like
0: after after watching it the first time. My thought was, I will never watch that again you know, and then I watched it this time and I appreciated it on this whole other level. Like maybe it's just because I needed the recent context of the other films, you know, seeing
1: Mr. Glass again to me, knowing that he's going to, he's all, he's in control this whole time. And then I don't know, watching it from a perspective that he's the good guy, he's in control. I can't wait to see Sarah Paulson fucking get it. It just clicked. Something clicked in this movie where I was like, it's almost like the Avengers of this world. You get the three guys from these movies and they're together and it just worked for me. I don't like the ending much, but I do like, I will say I do like the thing when the video starts going out and all three of them are in the, in the train station holding hands, Dress,
0: dressed in their appropriate colors. Did you notice that? that yes. Uh, the son is dressed in green and the mom is dressed in purple and, uh, Anna Taylor Joy. Casey is dressed in yellow. Like they're dressed in there.
1: Yeah. Well, and then mom grabs each hand, which I love because I I love a good mom and she's a good mom. And I just appreciated that sort of motherly nature of the character. And I thought that was a good send off. And I really think that for Mr. Glass and Kevin Quindle Crumb, those are great send offs for the characters. Yes. I thought that they. They were properly sent off into the night.
0: I I also like not that so Sarah much Paulson's Sarah Paulson's come up and wasn't her getting like beat down with a pipe? You know, like it was just that she failed.
1: Like yeah, you you have failed, and you got and to imagine that a group that murders people—it's probably not the group you want to let down. No, yeah, their disappointment would be severe and quick. And I like the scene at the comic shop where it leads into. You know, like, you, you, the kids are like, that's the mastermind. You don't know what he's planning, but he's got a plan that you don't know about. And she goes, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> I just uh, go look at the cameras. Where do they go? He's like, well, they were uploaded to some offline server. Fuck! <laughs> you know, I I really like that. So this is a thumbs up for me. This is a, a yeah, solid thumbs up. I think it's going to be in the upper half of uh, the, the movies that at the end of the year. Or the end of the season, I really uh, am surprised myself because I didn't want to sit down and watch it, honestly. Yeah, me either.
0: Yeah, I wasn't in the mood. I I even said to my wife, man, I got to watch that goddamn class today. Yeah. And and I ended up really enjoying it. So, okay, real world-wise, our Lady in the Water episode just came out.
1: Yes. And I listen
0: to it this week as I want to do. I listen to our episodes as they come out and I we record well. them. Well, depending,
1: because so f- I have to edit them. So I usually have already right. heard them twice.
0: <laughs> yeah, we record them so far ahead of time that by the time they come out, I've kind of forgotten, you know, the stuff yeah. that we talked about. And it's fun. It's fun to listen to. So we were talking about a lot in, in that episode about critics and about uh how he cast a critic in the film and then kills the critic yeah. with this with a scrunt and then uh and then there's that line uh who would presume or who would be so arrogant as to presume the intentions of another human being, right? And I, I was really taken offense at this whole thing. I was really like, come on, dude, come on. I started reading reviews of glass, right? Yeah. And they are so Personal in their attacks <laughs> of Shyamalan and his thought processes and intentions, and I just grabbed this snippet. It's from a deep focus review, and and this is just a, a random one that I snagged. But here's what it says about Glass. Perhaps out of necessity, his writing also became less self-conscious, his filmmaking less grandiose. Watching his next cheapy split you are you see a filmmaker who excels because he's forced to make creative cost conscious decisions but in an un, or but its unexpected success seems to have gone to shambalan's head with glass he indulges himself in ways that do a disservice to the material and its fans right that's a shitty fucking thing to say man like that's i don't know like okay so i'm a critic i criticize video games yeah and I do my best when writing my reviews to criticize the game itself and not the people that made it. Right. Right. Like I I do my best not to question the intention of the people that made (laughs) Uh, it. Nobody sets out to make a a shitty game, but shitty games happen and it's okay to call it out and say, Hey people don't spend your money on this shitty game. You worked hard for your $60 or $70. Save it. Maybe don't invest in this product because the product isn't great. No, no judgment on the people that made it shit happens in the real world. And it's a difficult endeavor. Right. But I noticed as reading through, like, just with that fresh in my mind from the Lady in the Water episode, as I was reading through these reviews, man, they do not hold back. They attack this cat like no other. they don't not- like him.
1: Like, and I don't know why. Like, I know he's got some shitty movies, but. I feel like there's something personal even and especially like and I can't speak because if you listen to my other podcast, I really fucking hate Darren Aronofsky movies. I really hate them. And I'm like, fuck that guy and his (laughs) pretension. Like he keeps everyone in arm's distance is like, look at the shit I made. Uh, That's I say that stuff. Now, granted. He's not going to listen to this. But also, if someone says- Yeah, you're not
0: writing for the New York Times,
1: right? (laughs) Right. But also, if someone said, man, fuck Jeff. He doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. His podcast is shit. I'd be like, cool, man. Don't listen. I'm fine with it. But I also am the guy who's like, fuck that guy. Even though if I met him in real life, I'd be like, hey, man, your movies aren't for me. (laughs) Like That's how I would put it. I just don't enjoy your style uh, of filmmaking.
0: Yeah, I think I think like oftentimes these these folks doing the writing don't keep in mind that the people who the creators actually see this stuff, yeah. right? And and maybe I mean maybe that's a critic's job is to be that ruthless about things and so on. Like uh, just the very nature of, of criticism, you know, is that well, it's they're critical. selling newspapers, right? They're selling newspapers or website clicks right. or whatever the hell. Um but it did it did seem to me that more so than a lot of other filmmakers uh
1: people really feel free to make this guy into a punching bag he seems like, like a really nice guy right like and he never uh, you never see or hear anything problematic about him other than some of the plagiarism claims but he just i don't know i think like i could have a a beer if i drank beer with M Night Shyamalan, and he would be a reasonable, down to earth guy. That's just yeah,
0: yeah. And I don't want to. I don't want to be like the M Night podcast who is swooping in to defend M Night
1: because that's clearly I will. Not, Fuck yeah, that's my that's, dude. But, I right, love. Right, but that's not what we are as a podcast. <laughs> like our podcast
0: <laughs> is not strictly an M Night podcast, <laughs> and we're not here to kiss his
1: ass. Right? I will come here. But, <clears throat> but I love M Night Shyamalan. It
0: just it just seems like kind of kind of shitty, uh, and and I if if I mean, people, we.
1: We shot over some of his older movies, right? Yes, but I think
0: we did it fairly. I think so too, and but it, at the it,
1: same time, like my favorite episodes of this, specifically the movie Draft House, doesn't happen much. Are the ones where I just unload? I'm just like this thing, like my Requiem for a Dream review. I I hate that movie so much. Uh, like nothing gets me more riled up than pretension. In film, like I'm like this son of a bitch. <laughs> so. Do you okay? Have you ever had
0: an experience, and this ties in with both the criticism thing and the way the uh, Sarah Paulson is trying to talk them out of you know being superheroes? Have you ever been in an experience where somebody tried to devalue you or tell you that you were? not who you thought you were that you were i think everyone
1: has right and i think that's why i go to therapy but um for sure because so much of therapy is undoing that stuff it's like jeff you're awesome and i'm like yeah yeah i am and now i'm like fuck yeah i am aronofsky can kiss my ass like (laughs) no i don't mean that (laughs) um but i just uh For sure, you know, and I think it's subtle a lot of times. I can't remember any time. Oh, okay. Here we go. Now I just remembered as I was about to say. So my dad, uh, whom I love, he passed away years ago, but awesome dad, raised us really well. All parents make mistakes. I told my wife this. I'm like, at some point, I'm going to send my son to therapy so he can undo all the shit we accidentally did to him. It happens it's fine it doesn't make us bad parents we're just human so my dad has some shortfall some shortcomings he he was an alcoholic for a long time and I w- he was dating this woman who's into like metaphysics and you know uh like reincarnation and all sorts of weird spirituality stuff that i wasn't on board with and i you know i we've talked about spiritualism on this podcast so i have no criticism of her but at one point, we were sitting at dinner. This is after I picked th- them up because my dad got pulled over while intoxicated. But my dad is also a, a car salesman and talked to police officers saying, let me just call my son to pick me up. And the officer's like, cool, man. No big deal. That's my wow. dad. My dad knows how to talk to cops like he, he never got a ticket. He, like we got pulled over many times where he's like, boy, stay in the car. He'll get out Two minutes later, he's back in the car driving off without a ticket. But so I go and I pick him and and his girlfriend up, and he's like, Hey, we'll take you out for like a midnight Denny. So I'm like, All right, whatever. So he goes to the bathroom, and she leans over and she goes, I really see you following your dad's path. And I was like, What? (laughs) Like, no, uh, no, like my, my dad's path is not the one I want to follow. I love my dad, but. He has some things that he, I don't want in my life. And I felt like years later, that was a curse. And I had to go get therapy to be like, no, I'm choosing my own way. You know, I don't drink at all, you know. Um, And just, so yeah, I definitely, that's the closest experience I ever, someone tried to put something on me. They didn't do it because she's in love with my dad, right? She didn't do it in a way to say something bad, right? She wasn't malicious. Her intention is not like Sarah Paulson's in this. Oh. But telling, it's gaslighting is basically all Sarah Paulson does in this movie. And I'm sure I've been gaslit before, but it, it pisses me off so much. <laughs> but yeah, how about you?
0: Yeah, I, I one particular instance comes to mind. So I used to work for uh, Cracker Barrel. I was the retail manager at a Cracker Barrel. This is how I know Elliot. Uh, yeah, because he he worked at the Cracker Barrel as well, and uh, I will go on record right now as saying that Cracker Barrel is not a very nice organization. They are. Mean spirited motherfuckers at the cracker barrel. But boy, that damn hash brown casserole. Oh, it's delicious. Bangs. And the greens, the greens are amazing. <laughs> and the mac and cheese. Yeah. No shit, their food is awesome. Yeah. But as an org, they're kind of Disney-ish in that they put this like really happy, down home face out to the world, but behind the scenes they are ruthlessly counting their quarters like Scrooge McDuck and you know anything that takes away from their margin that yeah. they are ruthless about. And uh, I had some staff members at my place that were kind of elderly and uh, to me really like personified what Cracker Barrel was trying to be. Just like some down home country old folks. And they'd stand there and they'd greet people as they came in. Like, welcome to Cracker Barrel. Look at this and we'll get you a seat here in a minute. You know, like exactly what you want. But they weren't the best salespeople in the world they weren't there trying to like nickel and dime every last like penny out of the people that came in to the store and that's really what cracker barrel is looking for they really want you to be out there doing the down home act but also selling the shit out of right. everything in that store and they weren't so good at that right so like cracker barrel actually does analysis on the numbers of like how how much how many sales are happening like what your numbers are while certain people are on staff And, like, oh, Frank is not performing as well as he should on Tuesday mornings. He should be making more money. And so it came down to you need to fire these people. And I just wouldn't. I just wouldn't. (laughs) I just wouldn't fire them. And that led to a lot of conversations with my boss and my boss's boss, where they would tell me, You're too nice. You're too nice to be in this position and it really made me feel devalued for something that I felt was a plus (laughs) my personality right they were pegging me with this stigma of being too nice and making me feel all bad about it when i felt like that was something that was a good thing about me you know and and it of course in in reality i was just in a bad position i I shouldn't have been there that was not the place for me to be i don't Uh, have the personality type this is how you
1: prove you're not too nice oh i'm too nice well fuck you i'm not firing them you go do it well i mean that's (laughs) <laughs> that's essentially what ended up happening was I just yeah. left
0: like it got so freaking toxic yeah. there I was just out of there. But that that's what this movie reminded me of like the way that they're coming at these people and they have this like magical thing and I'm not saying that being nice is a magical thing but these people in this movie have this magical thing and they're telling them like no this isn't real this is a detriment to you da 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 and you know that's just I don't know that's how I relate to it is I, I've found myself frequently in those situations where you know I've been told that uh, my friendliness is perhaps not an asset and that always just fucking pisses me off my oh, friendliness that's... is my superpower. God damn it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, I hear that. And I also, um, think letting out the anger at those people will show them. <laughs> I have, I've <laughs> learned through therapy to just <laughs> not, I don't have time for you, bro. I don't have time for you. Like I was with someone like something that drives me crazy is talking behind people's backs, you know, and there's here I am talking behind his back, but I've told him this to his face, but he was talking about someone behind their back. I'm like, "Bro, you always talk about people behind their back. Stop being a pussy." You know? I, it just I I don't know. Well, I mean, you live in you, you can learn. be nice and be mean. You can yeah. be mean about being nice. I don't know.
0: I pivoted to a career where like my whole career now is communication and, you know, getting people to work together well. And so on. So I found a way to capitalize on my being nice to people. I'm a customer service being master. Asshole. Yeah. So, But anyway, you got anything anyway. else for us? Or no, we, no, uh, that's it. That's, uh, on Glass? I, I, I think we did a really good job on Glass. Like when I was thinking about it, I was like, what are we going to talk about with this movie? But it's it's nice that we both agreed that it was better than we thought and uh, uh, yeah. come out of it with a, with a positive episode. So that's nice.
1: I really like it. So um, chalk one up for the Shyamalan man. Maybe I need to. Well, of course, I am rewatching all of his stuff now, but. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, I should, maybe I should give those films another look. Give them one more try. That's Lady of the Waters had too many tries. Uh, but we are moving on to our penultimate episode of Uh We are going to check out the movie Old from 2021. It stars no one of note. Uh, that's not true. There are people I recognize, like Alex Wolfe. Uh, Thomas and McKenzie from, um, what's that movie, that Nazi movie? Uh, Jojo Rabbit, excellent movie. Oh, yeah, I like that, Jojo Rabbit. Um, That's a good one, yeah. Rufus Sewell. So, uh, I, have you seen this one? I have seen this one, I'm looking forward to watching it again. I'm going to gonna see go if in maybe... optimistic yeah, because, took... <laughs> because glass has turned me around. <laughs> I'm going to be like, hey, maybe I fucked up last time.
0: It's funny because I always say, and I'm going to try to give this a fair try. And then nine times out of 10, it's like, nope, still sucks. So it's nice to have one that, that was good. So now when I say, I'm going to give this one a fair try, you know, like I know that there will occasionally be one that uh, I turn around on. So, Let's, so I'm going to give Old a fair this try. This
1: movie's going to be great. I can't wait to watch it. Uh, but if you want to get in touch with us, you can. I don't know how, but it can be done. Uh, You can contact Eric on Twitter at Eric underscore hotter. I'm on Twitter at Podcast by Jeff. Check out GamingNexus.com for all your gaming uh, reviews, as well as my other podcast, The Movie Draft House, where we review movies and I get a little more angry and uh, actually treat directors like they aren't people. That's what I've learned today. Uh, (laughs) Anything else you got, Eric? No, you can also find us on Facebook at Chronologically
0: Podcast.
1: We'll see you in two weeks for a so. Bye.